a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning, Maria Shalaos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open. And you can also text us your questions at 57500. Tom, next listener would like to know, what month do they put down pre-emergent? I'll stop there because they have two questions. So I'm assuming it's for a lawn. Yes. Around April 15th, early to mid-April. Too early now, and plus your lawn's covered with snow, probably. It used to be people would say mid-March, and because the pre-emergence peter out a little bit, I like to wait at least until early to mid-April. But a lot of it's going to depend on the weather. If we have a dry, hot spring, then you may be justified putting it down in mid-March. But if it's still cool and wet, then you're going to wait until mid-March. There isn't an exact calendar date, but to stretch it as long as you can, I like to do it around tax day. I'm going to bet that that's going to be a good bet this year. Yeah. I don't think we're going to have the dry. I mean, usually we don't even get much snow downtown, and we have quite a bit of snow right now. There's piles everywhere. The mailboxes are almost buried <laughs> in. and So, yeah, I, if it's cool and wet, then I would wait for, mid-mar- for mid-April. Okay, their second question is about Rose of Sharon. They want to know if Rose of Sharon go- grows pretty fast, and do they like a lot of sun? Standard Rose of Sharon can grow 18 inches a year at least. And they love full hot sun. They're, it's a misnomer that they are native to Israel and they're supposed to be named after the Sharon Valley there, but they're native to China and Korea. And even though they're kind of native to more of a temperate forest type situation, they are very tolerant of heat and adapted to dry climates. All right. Next listener is concerned about all of this snow. Uh, they live in Tooele. They just uh, they can barely see parts of their lawn after the heavy snowfall. And I can't see any of my lawn. So if you can see parts, you're doing better than I am. Um, they said they can't even get to their shed with their tools. So they want to know what's going to happen to all their flowers and roses if it continues to be so cold and the snow doesn't melt until April. They'll be absolutely fine. The roses they being, adapt much better yes, than we do. <laughs> being covered by snow is a benefit because let's say we unseasonally got down to single digits or sub-zero temperatures, snow cover protects whatever is under it. So your lawn and your roses and perennials are all perfectly happy because they're held at 32 degrees in that snow. And the snow doesn't absorb the cold and get colder. It stays at or near 32. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a benefit. Uh, next listener has a problem that many of us have. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have a small garden. They've used it over and over again because it's the only place they have to have a garden. And they're wondering if they can dig a hole, put bagged soil in, and then plant tomatoes in it. It would probably be better than nothing as a solution. But if you have pathogens and pests and things, they're going to quickly move into that small area. And so... 
if you're going to go to that extent, you know, the other problem is, is when you water, you may actually create a swimming pool because the water doesn't drain into the native soil as well as it does the artificial soil you've poured in there. And so I'd almost rather see them do a, uh, a bucket with that soil in there. Mm-hmm. And maybe give areas of the garden a break every year and expand to some pots or, you know, something on a patio to where they could grow in that. Or put in containers in those areas. Containers, yes, yeah. would be another option. You know, or even in the garden, you know, they could use like the Matt Genge method where they grow in a 25-gallon bucket and just sit them on the ground in the row and keep it in the garden. There are some options, but I don't think that that would be the best option because of potential drainage issues and pests and pathogens being able to colonize that area fairly quickly. Hmm. And if you would like to see uh, our container gardening video, you can catch that on the KSL Greenhouse YouTube channel. And you can also find those videos on our Facebook page. We put a, we've put together a number of videos now on container gardening, extending the gardening season. Uh, next person says, um, they are sunflowers toxic for other flowers and plants? Uh, do you have to be careful when you plant along with them? No, I don't see any reason you shouldn't if you plant some of the taller varieties they may shade out plants on the south and west sides of them but in and of themselves they're not toxic to the soil Hmm. i'm gonna i'm having autocorrect has ruined this next text so i'm gonna wait a second on this Uh, next one does lawn fertilizer pre-emergent and lawn weed treatment hurt tree roots that may have strayed into the lawn They will need to refer to the labels of whatever they are using. Fertilizer does not hurt anything. Pre-emergent generally does not. Refer to your label to make sure. And then lawn sprays can. Mm. And so there are lawn weed killers that will say do not apply under the canopy of trees or shrubs or desirable plants. It'll say use caution under the canopies a lot of times because, especially in cool weather, 2,4-D and dicamba can stay in organic matter in the soil for weeks. And if you have tree roots actively growing in that area and you've got dicamba in the soil, it can heavily damage trees. This happened up on USU's campus several years ago And it took a long time for the trees to recover. And so you really do need to be careful about it because of that potential. And so what I like to do, if it says be use caution under the canopy of trees and there are weeds under there, I will apply to the weeds only and just spot treat here and there. And that will help instead of just doing a blanket application underneath. But you really need to look at the label. Uh, I think I've deciphered this now. Uh, this next person has ground up some aspen stumps and they have the wood chips and they're wondering if they could put those wood chips in their vegetable garden. And if so, would they till them in or just put them on top? I don't know that that's the best idea to till them in just because they will eventually break down, but they'll rob the soil of a lot of nitrogen because the microorganisms breaking down the wood are going to be a lot more efficient at getting nitrogen than the plants. And so if you did, I wouldn't apply more than a half of an inch in any given time. And I would rather see those wood chips used as a mulch so that they slowly decompose into the soil 
so that if they grow their vegetable garden, that their plants will perform well. Yeah, it's funny how those wood chips will just rob the soil of the oxygen. It's it's nitrogen. Nitrogen. Yeah, nitrogen. And well, it's what will happen. My science is No, terrible. it's all good. And it's so not. <laughs> I've seen people mix in wood chips and then put nitrogen over the top. I do know the difference. And the yeah, way. that will help. <laughs> but I mean, we need some nitrous oxide this morning. <laughs> Something. But that would be good. No. <laughs> Do the show with nitrous and oxide and yeah. helium. Yeah. So uh, okay, never I'm mind. Sorry. It's I 8 o'clock in the morning, 845. Squirrel? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I've lost. Okay. So they rob the soil yeah. of the nitrogen. Oh, yes, they do. I'm sorry. Yes. 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 Nitrogen. Thanks, Dave. Adding nitrogen to the wood chips. So the end result of all of this is that if you have wood chips or sawdust, you never apply more than about a quarter to a half of an inch. You work them into the soil and you maybe do this every month to six weeks or every couple of months over a period of a year or two to just gradually get them in there so you don't ruin the soil for growing vegetables. Why would my brain go to oxygen anyway is the question. Thanks, Dave. He said it's because my brain is looking for oxygen. And that is true. And on that note, we're going to take a break. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions, 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless, and I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Next listener, Ton, is people really have heard a lot about clover and they're really wondering about clover. Our next listener wants to know, is clover a good grass alternative in Salt Lake City? This jury's still out. There's so few people with clover as a turf replacement, and I'm not talking mixed with grass. Mm-hmm. That Are you just seeing ads about it, or it's big in the Midwest because oh. of the it's able to stay green with the rain they get because the Midwest is getting 25 to 40 inches of rain, you know, into the Great Plains and things, and so it is a little bit better fit, but. What I do know is that it will stay green longer than turf, but also longer term, if it is just completely robbed of water, it dies out where turf is able to deal with that a lot uh, 
and, and a lot a lot better because the roots and crowns will stay dormant but alive to where a clover won't. And so I'm cautious. The other problem with clover alone is that it is not as wear tolerant as turf grass. And so if you have kids playing soccer on it and it's damaged, then it is slow to fill in and is a lot more easily damaged than turf grass. And so my initial thoughts are I'm cautious. I probably wouldn't do it just because I've got kids still playing on lawn and it's just not a proven thing yet. I, I can't say that it is bad or good or in between or situational. I do know of, uh, we interviewed someone a couple of years ago, Liz Braithwaite up in Brigham city who has a clover lawn and she was more happy with another lawn alternative, which is yarrow. And she mows it and things and said that it was more drought tolerant and more uh, wear resistant as far as getting basketballs and things of that nature, kids running on it. And so, but even with Yarrow, until we get some plots, some research plots to look at water use, drought reactions, wear tolerance and things, I... If people want a more drought-tolerant lawn, if they're in Salt Lake County, contact their irrigation districts to see if they can get some of the drought-tolerant turf that uses 30% less water, or maybe install turf-type tall fescue, which also is able to go deeper into the soil with its roots and access water more readily. And so I, it's one that I personally wouldn't spend my money on at this point. We're seeing more and more people put in artificial turf. I mean, if you go to Vegas, everybody has an artificial lawn. Is there any sort of science saying that that is harmful to the environment? Well, it's mixed because, yes, you are saving a lot of water. You know, the Las Vegas or the Southern Nevada Water Authority will pay people to take out Mm -hmm. real turf. What it can do is increase the urban heat effect because it is – it's not cooling the environment anymore. And I don't know why you would want to, but if kids go out and play on it in plus 100 degree temperatures, oh. it can burn you if you fall on it. You know, you can actually get um, minor burns from it because it gets so hot. And so I know that in areas of the Southwest that sports fields have it, they actually had to install irrigation systems to periodically spritz it to keep it cool enough so that the kids could play on it. I'm just saying more and more people put in this artificial Yes, and the other concerns, and this, again, I'm not a chemist or even an engineer or anybody that deals with plastics, but there's a fear that that artificial turf off-gasses potentially harmful chemicals. I don't know of any research saying it does or doesn't. And I, you know, with air circulation and things and wind, I don't know if it's as much of a problem, but I've heard of people not installing it because they're afraid of it because it's a plastic. Yeah. And it's not maintenance free. I think a lot of people put it in thinking it's maintenance free, but I've noticed that there are a few people um, in the adjacent neighborhoods to my house and you, you have to like vacuum it off. Like it gets really... You know, things accumulate on it. Yes, it does. And you've got the rubber pellets in it to keep it so that when you walk on it or say you fall down, 
it will cushion things a little bit and those can get all over the sidewalk and need to be carefully maybe using a leaf blower, get them back in, you know, there are some maintenance, uh, not issues, but there is some maintenance to the artificial turf. And then it's still quite expensive. It's triple or quadruple the cost of installing carpet. So, so we're back to, it's fair to say water wise landscaping is still the best option. It is. And the artificial turf, I like for situations like I would love to go out in a side yard on artificial turf and be able to play catch and football with my kids and have it be low maintenance, not have to worry about watering it. So someplace shady. Yeah. And then the north side of my house is shaded. And so it would be a perfect spot to do that. And so it's something I would consider, you know, it's just the expense of it right now that grass is less expensive by far to install, but the grass also has long-term maintenance. I think that is greater than what our artificial turf is. I've even seen in some of the condominium complexes that have just a little bit of grass, they've put the artificial turf for animals, like they have an animal area. But that's problematic too. Well, I think that they've used it and engineered it so that you, as long as you're cleaning up the number two, that it can be watered and just using a hose to wash it off drains the urine out of it, which isn't great to think about, you know, people don't like to, but I think those have been engineered so that it does drain off. Okay. Next listener would like to know what is the best time of year to apply chelated iron to grapevines? Mid to late March before they leaf out, even into April, because the grapes are sometimes a little later. Hmm. Next person said they had millions of white flies in their grapes last year. Soap sprays didn't uh, seem to help. What would be uh, their best preventative? They're going to need to turn to probably stronger um, insecticides. The soaps and oils are something you would use to monitor, not really monitor, but to prevent. And so through June into July, you would need to spray weekly and get the undersides of the leaves. And in grapes, that can be very difficult because they're so thick. And so they may need to turn to something like rotating if they start to see them show up with maybe, I believe, spinosad spinosad is reduced risk and registered, but they might need to switch to something like permethrin or triple action that is going to be more powerful. And one or two sprays of that will knock them out. All right. Gary is on the line in Pleasant Grove. And good morning, Gary. What is your question? Yes, my name's Gary Beach. We've got some property down in Fairview, Utah, and last year we have an apricot tree there. I've got and I've got three apple trees. The apple trees are doing okay, but the apricot tree, it's still as little as the day I put it in three, four years ago. I'm wondering, is there a way we can? Um, I've heard you can actually put a pipe in the ground near the roots to help the roots along. Um, and then the apple trees, of course, the deer are, are issues up down there with, <laughs> with that. But anyway, what can you tell me? Well, the pipe, I, if you have to put a pipe in the ground to get water down there, the soil's not suitable for growing fruit trees. Watering, well, well, as Mother Nature well, intended, should be fine. Go ahead. No, I'm concerned about the nutrients, fertilizer no. or anything like that. No, that's another 
like when I hear people deep root feeding, there are situations that can help, but in general, fertilizer on top of the ground is will penetrate in and be just fine. And so if you were to put, say, a quarter cup of fertilizer on, around the base of the tree in late March and again sometime in late April to May, and it didn't spur any growth, you probably have a girdling root somewhere on the tree or the roots have a disease in it that hasn't killed the tree but has prevented it from growing. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try the fertilizer. Yeah, and so if it was planted at the same time as the apples and the apples have done well, then the apricot probably should have grown faster and there's either girdling roots or fungal diseases causing problems. All right, Gary, thanks so much for your call this morning. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. Number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255, text us 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.